Welcome everyone to episode 45 of Ohio Unsolved. I'm your host Matthew, and first and foremost, I want to say thank you to every one of my listeners. As of last Friday's episode, I have officially hit 20,000 plays of all of my episodes. Thank you so much for helping me reach this milestone that I honestly didn't think that I would ever hit. To everyone that shares this with their friends and family, thank you. I work really hard each week to put this podcast out, and to know that I have people that listen each week really makes me feel good. There's a lot of choices of podcasts to listen to, and you guys choose mine. Thank you. Now, let's get on to today's episode. This week, we hear about the murder of April Tinsley and a few more horror stories from YourGhostStories.com. But let's just get right into the episode. Everyone, sit back, make sure to lock your doors and windows, and get ready for Ohio Unsolved. Our first story is about the murder of 8-year-old April Tinsley. The story is a little graphic, but I do keep details to a minimum. As always, listener discretion is advised. April Marie Tinsley was born on March 18, 1980. She was an 8-year-old girl from Fort Wayne, Indiana, who was kidnapped, raped, and murdered in 1988. Her killer left several anonymous messages and notes in the Fort Wayne area between 1990 and 2004, openly boasting about April's murder and threatening to kill again. Via forensic genealogy, the Fort Wayne Police Department identified April's murderer as John Miller in July of 2018. On December 21st, Miller pleaded guilty and was sentenced to 80 years in prison on the charges of child molestation and murder. April Tinsley was a member of the Children's Choir at the Faith United Methodist Church and a second grader attending Fairfield Elementary School. On April 1st, 1988, Good Friday, she was playing with two of her friends and they were moving between houses. April went back to retrieve her umbrella and then disappeared around 3 p.m. John Miller, who later pleaded guilty to murdering April, said that he had planned to kidnap a child, but he had not seen April before abducting her. 
He said that he asked her to get into his car and he took her to his trailer where he raped and killed her. At night, he took her body to a ditch. April's mother reported her daughter missing to the police when she did not arrive home for dinner that night. The initial search for April included 250 Fort Wayne police officers and 50 volunteers. A witness later reported seeing a white man in his 30s forcing a girl believed to be April into his blue pickup truck. A jogger later found April's body on April 4, 1988, in a ditch just west of Spencerville, Indiana. Near the site, investigators found one of April's shoes and a sex toy inside of a shopping bag. A motorist later reported seeing a blue pickup truck near this site. April's autopsy report suggested that she had been raped and then strangled to death. The report determined that she had been dead for about one or two days before she was discovered, and that she had been placed in the ditch four hours before this discovery. Two local radio stations established a reward fund on April 5, 1988. Additional funds were established for April's burial and her family. April's memorial service was held on April 8, 1988 at the Faith United Methodist Church, and she was buried in the Greenlawn Memorial Park. The early police investigation led authorities to a 34-year-old suspect who was charged with child molestation in a separate case, but was acquitted of those charges the next month. Ninety members of the Fort Wayne community formed the volunteer group APRIL, which stands for Associated Parents Regional Independent League, and later changed to Abduction Prevention, Reconnaissance, and Information League on April 20, 1988, to help police solve cases involving missing children. On June 24, 2005, the Tinsley family held a press conference at the Allen County Courthouse asking for leads in the case. In June of 2009, Indiana authorities asked the FBI Task Force Child Abduction rapid deployment to help them solve the murder. On May 21, 1990, police found a message on a St. Joseph Township barn reading, I kill 8-year-old April M. Tinsley, and did you find the other shoe? Haha, <laughs> I will kill again. The message was written with crayons which were found near the barn. Investigators initially believed that it could be connected to the murder of 7-year-old Sarah Jean Bowker, whose body was found on June 14, 1990, in Fort Wayne. Local and state police formed a homicide team in April of 1991 to investigate Tinsley and Bowker's cases. On August 7, 1991, the FBI's Behavioral Science Unit determined that although April and Bowker's case were similar, they were ultimately unrelated. During the Memorial Day weekend in 2004, four notes were found in the Fort Wayne area that are believed to have been written by Tinsley's murderer. Three of these notes were left on girls' bicycles, and another one was left in a mailbox. Three notes were placed in plastic bags 
along with used condoms and Polaroid pictures of a man's lower body. One of these notes read, Hi honey, I've been watching you. I am the same person that kidnapped and raped and killed April Tinsley. You are my next victim. If you don't report this to police, and if I don't see this in the paper tomorrow or in the local news, I will blow up your house. The DNA from the condoms matched the police, police's DNA profile of the suspect, leading investigators to believe the incidents were connected. In April of 2009, the TV show America's Most Wanted ran a segment on April's case and asked for tips. The investigative series Crime Watch Daily also covered the murder in an episode which aired in 2016. April's case was featured in an episode of On the Case with Paula Zahn, which aired on July 15, 2018, just hours after an arrest was made in the case. On October 26, 2018, the Indiana State Police honored three Fort Wayne investigators for helping authorities identify John D. Miller as a suspect in the Tinsley case. Soon after the murder, police released a composite sketch of the suspect based on the account of a person who said that they saw April's kidnapper. On April 26, police sent DNA samples of April and five suspects to a private lab in Germantown, Maryland for profiling, giving inconclusive results. The FBI's Behavioral Analysis Unit created a profile of the suspect in 2009, describing him as a preferential child sex offender, meaning that he has a long-term and persistent sexual desire for children. The profile described the murderer as a white male, then in his 40s, through 50s, living or working in Northeast Fort Wayne or Allen County with a low to medium income. In June of 2015, the Virginia-based company Parabon released a snapshot composite sketch of the suspect based on the information from his DNA, and police released an updated version of his sketch in early May 2016. In May of 2018, a Fort Wayne Police Department detective sent a sample of the suspect's DNA to the forensics company Parabon, which used the genealogy website GEDmatch to identify the suspect's relatives. On July 2, 2018, the genealogist C.C. Moore narrowed down the list of suspects to two brothers including 59-year-old John Miller of Grabill, Indiana, whose neighbors described him as secluded and often angry. The police found used condoms in Miller's trash and collected DNA that matched the suspect's DNA. When the detectives approached Miller at his house on July 15, 2018, and asked him to come and talk with him at the police station, after advising him of his rights, investigators asked him if he knew why they wanted to talk to him. According to the police, he replied, April Tinsley. During an interview at the police station, he confessed to the murder, saying that he abducted April, raped her, and choked her to death inside of his trailer. 
Officials charged him with murder, child molestation, and confinement, and he pled not guilty in a court hearing on July 19, 2018. On December 7, 2018, Miller changed his plea to guilty, saying that he raped April and strangled her with his bare hands. He was sentenced to 80 years in prison, 50 years for murder, and 30 years for the child molestation. After sentencing, he was housed at the Indiana Department of Corrections Center in Plainfield. And then on January 16, 2019, he was moved to the Newcastle Correctional Facility and his earliest possible release date is scheduled for July 15, 2058. He would be 99 years old. In April 2015, in the Hogland Masterson neighborhood of Fort Wayne, construction started on a memorial dedicated to April's memory called April's Garden. On July 28, 2018, a memorial walk starting at this garden was held in honor of April. April Tinsley's mother held a balloon launch at April's Garden on April 4, 2018. This service was in remembrance of her daughter and other child victims of violence. The following day, at Fairfield Elementary School, a pink magnolia tree and a bench were formally dedicated to April's memory. This dedication was followed by a candlelight vigil. In May 2019, Nine vet investigators who had worked to secure the arrest and conviction of April's murderer became recipients of the National Association of Police Organizations National Policing Award. This award was in recognition of their tireless collaborative efforts conducted over the span of 30 years to finally see April's murderer brought to justice. These investigators were from the Indiana State Police, the FBI, the Allen County Sheriff's Department, and the Fort Wayne Police Department. NAPO heralded them as being among the most eminent and dedicated officers in America. A tiny part of me wants to know what goes through these people's head that can commit such a horrible crime, especially to an innocent eight-year-old girl. Robbing this girl of a full life is so incredibly selfish. But at the end of the day, I'm glad that I don't know what's going on in their head, because I don't think I could handle it in any kind of rational way. And I think that 80 years was far too short. He... I'm sure he's going to die in prison, but he should have been sentenced to life for what he did. Our next story is about the author's experience living in a haunted house. As always, I'll be reading from the author's perspective. In 2002, my mom and stepdad bought a house in the neighborhood that I grew up in. After living in an apartment and splitting custody with my dad for five or six years, the location I'll keep unnamed. The neighborhood was planned and all of it was built on old orchards and an abandoned farmland which goes way back to the old Oregon settlers as this was the valley down from the mountains. For about two years 
we never noticed anything strange or weird, much less even thought about our four-year-old house being haunted or anything like that. I believe the first activity happened over a summer. My brother, friend, and I were at my dad's house, which was a few miles away. My brother went back to my mom's to grab something, but he never came back. Later, we found out from my mom, my brother doesn't talk about things that scare him, that my brother, Jake, had gone up the stairs and was going to his room in the dark. It was nighttime, and he heard a young girl's voice say, Hey, Jake, from the bathroom, which was adjacent to the hallway to his bedroom. He apparently heard it loudly and very clear, and he sprinted into his bedroom, slammed the door, and slept with the lights on. The next day, he had asked my mom if it was her, and she denied being awake at the time. Things became more concentrated after that incident, and would continue for another ten years on and off. Our friend Tony said while he was sleeping in our game room upstairs, he felt someone stroking his hair and he heard breathing. He thought that it was us messing with him and had gotten up, realized the TV was shut off because it was pitch black and he was so freaked out that he ran downstairs and he slept on the couch in the living room. At the time, I was 16 and my brother and Tony were 15. A few months after that little stuff, I started to notice things in the game room when the door was open. The small hallway upstairs was perpendicular to the game room, and if you wanted to go downstairs, you had to walk towards the room and take a right down the stairs. I started noticing things that were blacker than black walking back and forth in the already dark room. At night, with the shades down, that room was extremely dark, and to see things moving back and forth was terrifying. It almost seemed like it were groups of entities walking back and forth. This was way before I ever heard about shadow people. A couple of weeks later, my brother and I were watching TV late at night downstairs, and my brother had passed out. After about 20 minutes, I saw movement in the darkness of the stairwell which was right across from the living room where we were. I fixated on the movement, and I saw something in a light-colored robe slowly sliding down the stairs as if it were floating, not walking. I saw a hand, or something like it, stretched out on the railing, which faced me. Initially, it scared me, and then I thought that it might be my mom, because she wears a robe at night and also has medium-length dark hair. Unfortunately, that comfort didn't last but a second, and then whatever it was, just faded into nothing at the bottom of the stairs. I was already shaking my brother by this point. He didn't really care what I told him, and I saw, and he didn't believe me, but it was comforting to have someone awake with me at the time. Then things started getting weirder in the house. I noticed my cat always fixating on something in the upper corner of my bedroom, like something was floating around or talking to her. It freaked me out, and any time she would start doing it, I would kick her off my bed. One night, my mother woke me up at 2 a.m. You know what she asked me? 
I was 18 at the time. She asked in a very terrified demeanor. And my mom doesn't lie when she's afraid, and it's got to be truly terrifying. I need you to check under my bed. Of course, unlike any other brave, accountable son, I said, yeah, no. She wouldn't tell me why initially, but pressing her on the whole deal, she eventually told me that she woke up because she heard screaming. This was no dream because she said that she continued to hear it after she woke up, but it wasn't from outside or downstairs. She said that she heard it underneath her headboard, almost as if it were someone screaming like they were being dragged to hell. Those were her words. We both checked and didn't see anything of note, and I can't remember if she went downstairs or not for the rest of the night. Often at night, I would be up and usually make myself dinner late. Almost every night for a few months, I would get a really anxious feeling being in the kitchen. What it felt like was, a, was as if someone strong, angry, big, and terrifying was yelling at you at the top of their lungs to get the F out of there. Like you were definitely hated and did not belong there. It was awful when it would happen. Perfectly normal kitchen one second and boom. Hateful, sinister environment the next. One time, I saw what looked like a young kid walk across the kitchen archway. That was unsettling. More weird things started happening, and these were very frequent. Loud bangs, crashing, and chaos. We had a few cats in the house, so anytime one of these crashes happened, they'd run up or downstairs depending on where the noise originated. Two times that stick out were once I was downstairs watching TV and my mom was upstairs. All of a sudden, I heard the loudest crash I've ever heard in a house coming from the garage. It sounded like all the shelving on the wall fell over and crashed on top of glass and metal. The sound shook the house. This was no earthquake. I've had it happen before, and this wasn't a bang. This sounded like everything was falling off the walls. I quickly ran to the garage door, fully expecting to see carnage, but not a single thing was touched or had fallen. I inspected and I searched around. My mom and I were both pretty freaked out. Another time, I was again downstairs, and I heard upstairs what sounded like everything in my bedroom being thrown to the floor and all of the soap crashing in the tub, followed by the cats running down the stairs. Again, I ran upstairs thinking that the cats knocked all my stuff over, but th there wasn't a single thing out of place. A few years after I moved out, my mom and I decided to do some EVP. My mom actually asked the questions. She asked if it was a boy or girl. Clearly, I recorded something saying, boy. If anything, once, if anyone wants the recording, I can provide it as I still have it from 2008. To be honest, I can't remember all the questions, but we got other responses in a male voice. Of note, it was just my mom and I and if I spoke, it was obvious. There were no other people in the room. I let the device record in the room after we left, and you can hear tons of noises, like someone is moving around inside the room. 
After I moved out of the house into my first apartment, I felt like what, whatever was at the house actually attached itself to me. I still feel that way to this day. I constantly have cold winds in my house around me at night, and when there isn't a window open, or I'll hear voices of people that aren't in the house calling me, I hate it. Anyway, back to the first apartment. The first and only experience I had there was the first couple of days my roommate and I moved in. There was a duck game going on, and I was getting on my laptop to find out what the score was. This was 2007, and smartphones weren't as common as they are nowadays. And I heard the nastiest, most guttural growl come from my room while I was sitting in the living room. We didn't have cable yet, and I didn't have any TV on or music. It literally sounded like one of those demon dogs from Ghostbusters. It scared the shit out of me. I remember the sound to this day. I don't know why it happened, but it never happened again. A few years go by, and the most activity me and my roommate have is him saying that he sometimes hears someone walking around in my room or in our kitchen, and he thinks that it's me, but I was never home when he heard these things. Actually, this kind of stuff happens a lot even now. My wife says that she heard me walking upstairs or fiddling around in my record room, but I'm either not home or asleep downstairs. I eventually had to move back to my mom's place after my roommate decided to move home to save money. My mom later moved out and my girlfriend, who is now my wife, moved in. She isn't one to admit to seeing things, but one time she saw something in our bathroom mirror while she was doing her hair, and she refuses to tell me to this day exactly what it was. She'll never admit when she's scared, even horror movies. She'll get up and go to bed, acting like the movie is dumb, when it's actually scaring her. So one day, maybe she will feel up to it. She was vulnerable and scared when she told me about it, but quickly zipped her lips and now denies ever saying anything about it. Anytime I wasn't living there, nothing would happen. Nowadays, nothing happens anymore, but I feel like whatever was there is with me now popping up briefly here and there. I actually had a spiritualist tell me that something was partially possessing my life or something negative was attached to me that wasn't a part of me. I went through prayer with a few spiritualist healers once when I was 21. It was pretty weird at first, but I felt it. It felt like something left me for a while and my life felt more positive. Eventually, whatever it was, has slowly infiltrated me once again. Well, that is going to do it for today. I hope that everyone enjoyed the stories, and if so, please rate and review on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. A five-star rating really helps others to find us. Don't forget to join us on Facebook and follow on Instagram. If you do enjoy the podcast, please consider helping to support the show by joining Patreon. There are three tiers to choose from, with the bonus episodes beginning being available at the $5 tier. 
There's currently five bonus episodes up right now, and I'm doing them on an actual schedule with them coming out on the third Friday of every month. Once again, thank you everyone for listening, and make sure to keep your doors and windows locked, and stay ready for Ohio Unsolved.